Alrighty, hope everybody's doing good. We're here in Casey Music Talk, talking about music and a whole bunch of, you know, kind of life stuff and, and any kind of topics we feel like. And uh, today we got a teacher and guitar player in town, J.U. Daly. Hi, Rob. Thanks, Thanks for coming, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so maybe if we, uh, if we want to start here, uh, I've probably met you at BB's. That's my That's memory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With uh, Alan and Mama Ray, and uh, I know uh, Bree's been playing with you guys yeah. a little bit too, right? Yeah, yeah. We 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 rotate drummers, mm -hmm. and Bree's one of the regulars. Yeah. Yeah, she's really good. She's been wonderful. On the, she's yeah, been she's on the show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how do, how do you how do you like doing the jam? Well, uh, I like it a lot. I like playing the guitar. <laughs> You know, so um, it's been a, a good run. You know, actually, that jam was started in 1984 before uh, Mama Ray ever came on the gig. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I'm the only original guy left on the stage. Oh, wow. I'm the last man standing. Yeah, sure. Uh, but that, that was started at Harlings upstairs. It was mm -hmm. a club down on Main Street. Midtown, and I'm thinking it was August, but I can't, it was sometime during the summer of 1984. Mm -hmm. And uh, two of the original guys have passed, and the other two are retired, not performing anymore. Mm -hmm. And that leaves me. Yeah, wow, that's 30, what, 35? Yeah, 35 years. That's, that's I'm a not long good with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to think about it, no, um. but yeah, it started <laughs> off. Uh, you know, we just uh, made a percentage of the bar. I think the first day we played, we made like $3.25 a piece. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> we just built it up, man. It built up over the course of, you know, the first few months and turned into a scene. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I know I've been down, you know, been down there a handful of times mm -hmm. and I've got a lot of lessons on Saturdays usually, so I can't yeah. always come down, but it's always really fun and usually pretty well attended. And yep. Uh, just, you know, there's been half a dozen times over all the years where I thought, oh, this is probably it, you know, and mm -hmm. something happens and it, it just keeps going. Yeah, totally. And Alan cracks me up like yeah. every, watching him play. Like, and I think I was talking to him one time that he doesn't really read that no, much, you he know, does, so no, he's, he's just ear all day, right? He doesn't read at all. Yeah. Um, he has perfect pitch mm -hmm. and, um... He knows he's a walking encyclopedia of tunes, mm -hmm. and uh, he's he's a you know he's a good fit for that gig because we have a lot of people come up wanting to do obscure off the wall things, mm -hmm. and you know nine times out of ten Alan knows it, mm -hmm. and if Alan knows it, I can follow him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. so works out real well. Yeah, and at your guys' jam, you guys do. Uh, I know I hear, you know, when George comes down there, you guys do, you know, that, uh, that Earth, Wind, and Fire one. So you got, I mean, you guys will throw some kind of R&B soul stuff yeah. in there. And then yeah. I, I know I've played uh, Take the A Train with you guys. So you'll do that. And then you guys got some blues stuff. And then you got uh, uh, Garrett uh, Gardner comes down. And right. you guys will do some old... Uh, um, Lay my hand right, on right. your pillow. You know, fifties do right. Yeah. yeah. So you, I mean, you guys are all over yeah. the place. Yeah, it's it's wide open. Um, 
we like to play some standards the first part of the first set just for ourselves you yeah know? but uh no and it's supportive you know a person can come up and they can you know not be good at all mm -hmm. and we'll just make them sound as best we can mm -hmm. and you know uh, some some places, you know, a jam session is a cutting contest, mm -hmm. you know, but it, our jam session is a love fest. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's positive, and there's been a lot, quite a few people over the years that, you know, first performed at the jam and wind up, you know, being pros. You know, sure. Because Mama Ray likes to nurture kids and... Uh, amateurs and so on and so if she thinks that somebody has any kind of potential she'll really encourage them and push them to get up and yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, you know tough it through the humiliation aspects <laughs> that always happen sooner or later mm -hmm. you know put in your place a little bit yeah. on a random tune or something <laughs> you know, yeah I know we've talked about this on the show a ton about sometimes the frustration of trying to meld those two mentalities of people wanting to come up and maybe not a cutting contest, but, but trying to become right. a professional, those, those right. guys that are really trying, like I would put myself in that category, right. Right. but then you've got the other guys that are, you know, that you, you understand we all right. got suck for the first 10 times we do a jam, you know, yeah. like well, how you uh, deal with that. Yeah. Um, there's a, you know, there's a, a balancing act or a strategy, uh, that you use, you try to, encourage the really good players you know to show up and sit in and it helps keep the bar reasonably high yeah. you know but at the same time you don't want to discourage the guy that all he can do is play a three chord blues in a mm -hmm. you know we want those people too mm -hmm. but um there's so many jams or situations where it's just you know the 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 the, the mean level of playing is just lower than what I like to be involved in, you know? And uh, Mama Ray's Jam at BB's now, um, you know, we, we, we try to encourage the, the really good players to show up and play, and we make sure that those people always have the A-team behind mm -hmm. them. Yeah. You know, and we try not to replace the whole band at once with players yeah. that maybe are a little less uh, on a lower level, you know, so that the, 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 the people that aren't, you know, an upper tier player have an upper tier of backing yeah. on stage. Sure. You know, so it's all about support and encouragement and and leading people along, you know. I, I like to, to me, the, the performing and the education, the teaching, all that stuff is not, um, it's not um, compartmentalized, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, if, if, we, if we have a house full of three chord blues guys, as far as I'm concerned, to, to play something like Take the A Train, is educational mm. you know <laughs> it exposes them to a little more changes you know mm -hmm. something that one scale won't work through the whole tune mm -hmm. you know that yeah. kind of thing 
So um, I'm interested in that. I'm not interested in making somebody sound bad that I could make sound good on a simpler tune, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I'd say those guys, uh, I always use the example of like, uh, can't you see, you know, a three chord tune, right. but you, you, you know, if they haven't ever played it, you just right. you know, tell them the chords for two right. seconds and they probably, probably, right. you know, probably have it, you yeah. know, or. Yeah. And if, if, uh, there's a guy, a horn player, somebody standing next to me and he goes, you know, what keys is in, you know, whatever. And I'll say, well, you know, you can do this basically in a minor, but the bridge will go to. B flat major, you know, I'll mm. try and help them out. I sure. mean, I've been on jam sessions where I got no help at all. Yeah. Mm. Deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay for me. You're right. You know, but uh, you don't want to humiliate somebody yeah. unnecessarily. And I've seen that happen. You, you got the wherewithal to like listen to, to deal it, with it. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, yeah. that's obviously helpful. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I've, I've been on sessions where there was definitely that was a competitive thing, mm -hmm. you know, going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm fascinated by the jams. I, we've talked about it on the show a lot because mm -hmm. I'm just, I, I think yeah, they're great a, and, and they're just, they crack me up and, and yeah, it can, you know. it can go from like really high, amazing music mm -hmm. to horrible, just like that. You're right. Yeah. And so I know that's that, part of the appeal of it. It's part of the drama. You know? Sure. Oh yeah. There's definitely a drama element because yeah. you, and, and for the players too, it's yeah. not just for the audience. Cause we don't know what's going to happen. Right. We don't know what song we're playing. And right. I've had a lot of people come up to me, uh, even on our regular shows and how do you make stuff up on the spot? You know? And I'm like, well, there's, you know, there's stuff going on there. I mean, like you, like you said, I mean, you've played, you've played a shuffle in a, well, you've, you know, you have 800 songs immediately in your right. head, you know, right. cause it's, you're yeah. not it's, learning it's, it's individual a, songs. It's a language. It's a vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, Alan, uh, even though he, he doesn't read, uh, he it's not that he's not knowledgeable. He's very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. I mean, he constantly, uh, you know, as a more educated player, I would talk about things like arranging devices and chord subs and mm -hmm. alter, altered dominance and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. He does all that. Right. And uh, we have wonderful little conversations, musical conversations, the two of us, behind whoever's up front. And, you know, 99.9% .9 of the crowd has no idea what's going on between me and Alan, yeah. you know. And that's one of the things, one of the things that I like playing, uh, like about playing with him, because he's, um, he may not be formally trained but he's knowledgeable oh yeah i mean his 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 theory knowledge is you know yeah as good as anybody is you yeah. know what i mean and he know he knows what chords he's on yeah and and he's doing those substitutions right. and and also i'm sure he's one of those players that I, I mean i don't know what kind of like theory training he's gotten just even from just random players over the years but he's probably one of those guys that doesn't know why he's doing it, but he knows right. this is the sub for this. Yeah, and it's he just intuitive. Boom, you know, yeah. yeah, he's. I think you know. My impression is that he, he's not very. Um, he hasn't had a lot of formal training, mm -hmm. but um, he's got perfect pitch. Mm -hmm. He was raised in church. His right. dad was a pastor, so the black gospel thing is totally ingrained in him, mm -hmm. and. Some of that music is very complex. Oh yeah, yeah. 
And I think that some of that is the root of his perfect pitch. And his theory knowledge is kind of spotty. Like sometimes I can say, oh, that's a sharp 11. And he's like, not sure what it is. But if I tell him the note name, boom, he's got it. If I play it, boom, he's got right. it. You know, he's very fluent in the functional aspects of, of music right, and theory right. and his formal knowledge and training um, sometimes he might know what I'm talking about sometimes he might not but I've found communicating with him is easier to avoid all that and just play yeah you yeah. know I mean he's he's uh, a wonderful player and he's versatile and that's one of the keys to success on that gig sure yeah and and a lot of guys are like that i met a lot of guys down in wichita a lot of my friends that were in kind of the jam band sort mm -hmm. of scene they were they were willing to fish and stuff and yeah. so they they definitely could play i mean they they, had, they were good players but um it, it's that same thing you know you you'd go play this and they go oh that you know yeah. that's what they that's right. what you're kind of meaning is they don't have the words for right. it but they go oh that sharp 11. I, right. Well, I play that on the guitar all the time. The, the, right. You know, walk downs and stuff. Yeah, it, they happens, know the it happens with they Alan, know. you know, all, all the time, you know, I'll say, well, that's a tritone dominant, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah, but I go, bloom, and he goes, oh, yeah, right, right, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, he's, we've had requests, for instance, this, it, it happens more often that he knows the song and I don't. Mm. But there have been times where I knew the song and he didn't, and um, he'll say, what does it sound like? You know, and I'll go, well, uh, you know, here's the form of the tune real quick. And I'll just play through the changes, out of time, you know, just in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. I'll go through the whole tune, mm -hmm. just to give him the form of the tune. And he'll go, oh, that's... That's like that old Tom Jones tune, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, nah, I've never heard that tune. He goes, well, it's kind of like that, you know? <laughs> and then he just nails it. Right, sure, you know? yeah, yeah, in 30 seconds. Yeah, and he never never heard the tune before. Nice rehearsal, guys. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, That's yeah, the kind of rehearsal like, I like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, that. I'd kill for that schedule. Yeah. I think I think when we first started that gig in 84, we maybe had one rehearsal. Right, you yeah. Know? And after that, never. Right. And that that's part of the improv thing that I was discussing. I mean, like, I, you don't have to go practice Can't You See if right. all the guys have known the soon. Right. And, and it definitely uh, not even for people my age, but, you know, people yeah. like Alan's age who's, you know, played Can't You See for 30 years right. or, or whatever. So take the A train or whatever, you know, right. and that's pretty yeah. amazing. Um, so, like, you were talking to me on the phone um, about all of your teaching stuff that you got going on. Uh-huh. Um, tell me a little bit what you're doing with that. Well, um, I started teaching in the early 80s formally uh, as a survival tactic to get off the road <laughs> and um, still make a living with the guitar. And what I have discovered about myself over the years is that I'm, I'm very lucky because if it has anything to do with the guitar, I like it. Mm. If I have a guitar in my hand, if I'm dealing with the guitar in some way or another, I'm a pretty happy person. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of guys that are great players and they just loathe teaching. Mm. They 
they resent the time, they don't have the patience for it. It's, I mean, it's a different skill set, it's a different attitude. And what I discovered is that um, it's a guitar. I like it, mm. you know. So I've taught privately, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Uh, I don't like teaching classes, and I don't like um, remote type things like Face, uh, not Fa FaceTime and mm. Skype. I mean, I do Skype lessons, I do FaceTime lessons, but to me it's suboptimal. Mm. The optimum is one-on-one, -on -one, in person, in person every week. So that's what I've done um, since the early 80s. About the mid 80s, 86 was when I built my load up to the point where I quit playing full time, mm -hmm. six nights a week. Mm -hmm. and I was on the road half the time. Yeah. And that uh, wasn't sitting well with the wife and kids and you know it's not right. conducive to good marriage and healthy kids. You know being gone all the time. So, uh, my, high, my high point was 97 a week. I had about three dozen on a waiting list. Uh, but since, you know, I think since the, maybe the mid 90s, things started contracting. And, uh, I was kind of insulated from it because my load was so massive, but um, just the rise of the internet and um, the shift in pop culture away from guitar-centric mm -hmm. pop music um, kind of decreased the, the demand. And uh, all through the 80s and, and most of the 90s, I, I maintained you know, 70, 80 students a week without any promotion or advertising. Yeah, wow, yeah. It was all just word of mouth and referrals from whatever store I was teaching at at the time. And, uh, but things started contracting and by the mid, the late 2000s, I think the crash in 2008, the stock market crash. Mm. Um, it, yeah. Over the course of about a year there, I lost about 40%. Mm. I went from from 70 students to 40 or 45. Mm. And I've maintained it at about 50, more or less, since then, but I promote the crap out of myself. Yeah. You know? And I never had to do that before. So um, I started, I built a website and uh, decided that I wanted to be relevant for another 20 years and uh, that the internet-based business model was where it was going, so mm -hmm. kind of kicking and screaming. All right. I got into that, and uh, I read a book by an internet marketing guru guy, his name is Jeff Walker, and I modeled my website and my business, online business, uh, on this book, and uh, it involves, you know, downloadable product, downloadable lessons, mm -hmm. and uh, you can do all kinds of things with it. But um, most of my stuff is downloadable PDFs that have um, 
text and graphics and uh, video demonstration links. So I have teaching videos that the videos have become more and more standalone. But when I started, the video was just a small part of the lesson that, you know, text, fretboard diagrams, notation, it was uh, a part of the package. But as the thing has evolved, the video aspect of it has become more and more self-contained. Yeah. I figured out how to embed fretboard diagrams into right. the video and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's becoming more and more video oriented. But um, I worked on it for a year, launched my first product, and in spite of some very uh, intense technical issues that had me up all night long and mm. you know dealing with problems i actually made enough money in the first week on that to become convinced that it was viable mm -hmm. so i've been working on that ever since it's been three or four years that i've been doing that growing that and uh, it's all based on the idea that you have a, a subscriber list that you mm. market and sell to and so I try to groom engaged people off of that list. Uh, you know, I might have, say if you have a thousand people on your list, maybe 20% of those are engaged. 20% of those people will open up your emails, they'll look at the videos, and 5% um, of those will buy. And the people that buy, I want to know them. Person. Yeah, yeah. I want them to be able to send me an email and say, hey, I have a question about your lesson in such and such. And I'll say, Skype me at such and such a time and I'll give them, you know, 30 minutes. Make of, a relationship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm interested in students that understand the value of, of a process, of a methodical approach to applying music theory to the guitar and learning the guitar and that commit themselves to a process. So I don't, it's not just a one-time sale. You know, right. there's a process where I'm leading a, a person through a process the same way that I do with the personal student. Yeah, I, I think I'm having trouble with that too of the getting my mind in, into those numbers kind of idea yeah. of you have all these students and just kind of emotionally accepting the fact of this 20% number right. you're talking about and, and, that, and, and for in-person students it's you know, maybe the equivalent of the, the ones that are really trying or the yeah. 5% that would actually become a perfect, yeah. you know, Yeah, you see that, 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 I can't that get, those kind yeah. of ratios mm -hmm. hold true yeah. no matter what you're doing. If you're teaching 80 students a week, you know, maybe 20% of those people are really worth teaching right. and the other 80% subsidize that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and... Out of that 20%, maybe 5%, maybe 3% of those people are going to go on to a pro level and actually, you know, play. But as a teacher, my goal is not 100% to produce pro level players because right. there are way more valid reasons 
to take guitar lessons, then I want to be a pro. Right. If you want to be a pro, that's great. I can help you with that. Mm -hmm. But um, there's there's many other reasons that are that have just as much value sure. content to them. Um, other than that, so it's all good to me. Right. You know, if you want to get better at being on the worship team at church, right? And that's all you want to do. Mm -hmm. That's fine with me. Oh yeah. You know, if you, I've actually had students who um, they had uh, brain injuries. They were in a car wreck or whatever, mm -hmm. and the music lessons Where, were actually prescribed. Oh, you're linking up the yeah. By their doctor or their yeah. physical therapist, that was part of their rehabil rehab. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that that they would yeah. think that that's a really good idea. Yeah, I've yeah. had uh, you know elderly people with Alzheimer's and dementia that music lessons were part of their therapy. Oh yeah, you know triggers and, some old memories and and yeah, is it, yeah. that's amazing, right? Yeah, and so you know all that is. You know, I want to uh, instill value in the world. You know, I want to be positive. Yeah. Uh, effect. Sure. You know, so all that is is valuable and valid reasons to take guitar lessons. Sure. I mean, I've had quite a few students over the years that are pro. You know, mm -hmm. I've got a couple that are in big name bands, but. Um, you know that's just a, that's a, a very very small percentage of the thing. The other aspect of the website uh, activity is um, it's kind of a potential retirement plan C because hmm. A and B are, are not looking good, hmm. and uh, you know I've been self-employed musician my whole life, so I got no. Pension, you know, nothing. Yeah. Uh, and the Social Security that will be be available to me um, will be very helpful, but it's not enough to live. Yeah, sure. So, uh, on the other hand, all I've ever done is play the guitar, which I love. So, in that sense, I've been retired all my life. So. Yeah, right. Every day is a, you know... Yeah, a day off, but every yeah. day's a vacation, sort of. You know, yeah, right? yeah, you know, I mean, the, the the like I've said before, the dichotomy or the compartmentalization between work and hobby and vacation and not vacation—that's all kind of. I don't have those compart compartments, yeah. you know. If I go on a, you know, last spring, my wife and I went to Hawaii for a couple of weeks. It's a working vacation. You know, I was in Hawaii for two weeks, but I was working on a website, you know, creating content for the lessons. I rented a guitar, went out to hear some music. Mm -hmm. It's all have fun, half you know, stuff yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's all good, man. It's all music, it's all guitar, it's all business. Yeah. You you were talking about the with the students that come in and they have the thing I love about the church thing that you mentioned is is I'm hearing a goal in there. Yeah. You know, the student came and they're like, I have this worship service. I right. want to get a little bit better at that. I've had definitely students, because all my students are in orchestras at school, mm -hmm. different a little bit than the guitar players. Yeah. But they're like, 
I, I want to not suck at orchestra. Yeah. You know, I don't really care about the contests. I don't right. care about symphony. I don't, you know, but I, I just kind of don't want to be like laughed at at school. And I'm like, that's a goal. Right. I love that. Right. You know, and, and right. I get frustrated when the, we, we've talked about like, um, parents and growing up with music in the home or whatever basically everybody on the show has had the same story my mom taught piano lessons my dad had blaring country music my whole child you know everybody had it at home and then so when they come in here they have a mentality of of at least some music and and whatever well a lot of my kids come in here and i'm like well what do you want to do and they're like well i don't know yeah you know and and the, it's different with the guitar players, I think, because the guitar players hear Smoke on the Water or whatever, you know, and they're like, I want to play that. Well, the right. kids that I'm in, they're they're told, you right. know, they they come into right. orchestra and you're going to play this song and they're like, okay, you're going to sit here. Okay, yeah. you're going to wear a tux at the concert. Okay, right. you know, all the decisions right. are made for them on yeah. literally everything. Because yeah, they're not the, improving and they're, right. you know, they're just told, told, told. Yeah, and, I think with the guitar, uh, there's a little bit more of a self-motivation yes. thing going yeah. on. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's funny how, what kids are inspired by, you know, uh, I have kids, students now that are, you know, 10, 11, 12, they're bringing, they bring me the theme songs from video games. Right. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, Some of them will bring in, you know, pop music. I say bring in, they go, hey man, get on YouTube and look this up, you know. Uh, it'll be some kind of pop thing that has no guitar in it at all, mm -hmm. you know. But that's the music that they hear, mm -hmm. they want to play. And so I'll say, okay, well there's no guitar in here, but here's what the chords are. Mm -hmm. and, and you can play along to this, Yeah, you know using these chords, even though there's no guitar in this music. Music is music. Right. You know, teach them some sort of strumming pattern that right. is similar or whatever. Right. right. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. you know, and, uh, um, my agenda, I don't try, I don't dictate style or genre or anything like that. I work with what the kids brings to me, mm. what they're interested in. I have a, hidden agenda <laughs> and uh, don't, don't yeah. we all and what it is is that I want that whatever it is that you do whatever kind of music you play whatever you want to do I want it to be better and more intelligent because you've taken lessons from me yeah mm -hmm. and I don't have to like it right you know uh, many years ago, I got a CD in the mail, and uh, it was like, where'd this come from? Who's, I don't know, you know, what, what's this? And I looked on the back, and I was, oh, that guitar player, he's a student that I had like, you know, eight years before, Right. you know, and he had moved to Memphis or Nashville right. or somewhere, and he was in this band, and it was, the music was bordering on avant-garde yeah it yeah. was it was drums guitar and electric cello no bass no keyboards and vocal 
and it was dissonant, it was dark, it was not something that I would enjoy or buy on my own, but I listened to it because it was my former student, mm -hmm. and I listened to it, and I go, oh, he got that chord from me. Mm -hmm. Ah, that, that's, mm -hmm. you know. I heard the stuff that yeah. I had taught him being applied in a context that we never covered or ever talked about that I wouldn't even buy off the shelf and listen to, but... But it was intelligent music, yes, right? You know, yeah, there was some yeah. thought. And, and, yeah, yeah. and what he was doing was like, I, I know where that came from. Moi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> uh, thank you. Okay, so that's gratifying. Right. You know, uh, regardless of genre or style or whether I like it or not. Yeah, yeah. And like you were talking about when they bring stuff to you and they bring, you know, Justin Bieber or whatever the, the, whatever the music is, I, I struggle with, because I've asked every teacher that's come on the show about this, because in my opinion, the, the thing comes down to the motivation part, because once you got them, then you're taking them wherever, right. you know, and so I, I always struggle with that, because I, I feel like for myself, I do a good job of expressing motive or expressing excitement and passion uh -huh. and so I, I think that's obviously part of it mm -hmm. but um with the, with the idea of getting them you know grabbing them on something that they want and then I, I guess the 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 idea is hopefully then the next the next song you know maybe you can sort of do it every other so you know something they want and then you're like hey check this out you know and maybe you can bring them to a blues tune or so, you know, yeah. or whatever. And so what's, what's struggling with me is a lot of the people that want to talk about a lot of the teachers that want lessons to be all about motivation in regards to them being happy. Like the student has to be happy during lesson. And I, I take a little bit different approach to that. I, I think cause, cause their argument is that when they're enjoying lesson, then they keep coming and I found that when they start like liking what they're doing, like when they start achieving and they start a fe feeling that they're playing the song good, mm -hmm. that's what makes them come back. Mm -hmm. Like like golfing is a perfect example of that. You hit one good shot and then you think you can do that every time. That's what makes you come back. Right. Is the one good shot you hit all day. Yeah. The, uh, the hundred others that were terrible, but the one yeah. good one you think you can. And, and so I struggle with that of, of kind of, disagreeing a little bit with the teachers that just want to make it kind of fun all the time. Right. And I don't, I don't agree with that. I think yeah. it's when they start achieving. So is, so with the motivation thing is, is that because their argument is that once, once they like you as a teacher, once they like lessons, then they keep coming back and then they, and I don't know. I, I, yeah. I just wonder, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like I, the achievement rather than the fun. Cause I think the achievement ends up making this but their argument is that you have to start with them it, obviously the trust you know they've got to trust you as a teacher and all that but that's their argument is start with this and my my thing is no 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 start with mm. i think it, it depends know. on the student mm. you know um every student's different mm. and um ultimately the student has to be self-motivated. Right. 
And that's the end goal. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, that's the only way that there's going to be any kind of significant progress and growth. And, you know, to me, some students need fun and some students, uh, you know, need discipline. It just, it just depends on the student and the same student can need different things at different points, yeah. you know, in their progress. But um, it, I, I don't have a hard and fast rule. Yeah. Uh, but when I get a student to a certain level, then at that point, just part of the package is that they trust me and they trust the process. Yeah. Buy and, into the process. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And. So, and to get them to that point, it's different with everybody, you know, and it, it has to do with the personality type, the learning style, the age of the kid, you know. Uh, if I have little kids, um, it's a whole different thing, you know. It's all about fun and achievable goals. Right. And you, you bring them along. You know, some, it just depends, man. I, I, I hesitate to, to uh, draw uh, firm conclusions, you know, that apply to everybody. Yeah. Uh, but if a student want to be, let's, let's take a guy who all he wants to do is to be able to play on the worship band at church, you know. Like, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to give you some uh, cliche chords, voicings, and cliche chord progressions. And by cliche, it's not negative. A cliche, a musical cliche, is something that's so good, everybody uses it all the time. Yeah. So that's the way I frame it. You know, typical three chord, four chord progressions, you know. Cowboy chords. Right, right. But, but with the worship thing, and I've run into this, it's, it was really interesting to me. I had a guy that was uh, on the worship team at his synagogue as opposed to on the worship team at the local, uh, you know, Pentecostal, uh, you know, contemporary Christian thing. Right. Right. It was exactly the same mm -hmm. musically, except it was all in Hebrew. Yeah. Wow, that's funny. You know, but musically it was identical. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so I'll show them. And a lot of those are, not to get too technical, but they're cowboy chords, but they have add nines in them. Right. Um, because that's kind of a meditative or a kind of a, a hypnotic sound, mm -hmm. you know, which is what uh, worship, you know, is all about. Mm -hmm. So um, I show them these typical kind of add nine chords that occur in that kind of music all the time. And uh, we spend, you know, depending on their level of, of uh, technique at the time, uh, if, you know, two or three weeks or whatever doing these basic things. And now I go, okay, now bring me, bring me your tunes. Bring me uh, the book that you have, that you work out of for church or 
let's get on YouTube and look at some of these things and I'll put them together for you. And they, you know, it's pretty immediate that they see the application of what I've shown them. I've shown them something in a theoretical context. This is in the key of G. You're going to have this G with the add nine in the middle. You're going to have the D with the add nine and no third. You're going to have an E minor with the seventh in it. You know, you're going to have the A with the add nine in it and no third. And I go through these kind of cliche progressions mm -hmm. and, and they immediately hear, you know, oh, that, yeah, that's what that song sounds like. That's mm -hmm. what that sounds like. And, uh, and you, you show them the cliche, you know, all musical styles are like 90% cliche. Mm -hmm. you, know, you learn the cliches of the style, you got the style and the rest of it's just, you know, booby trap here and there. In the tunes, you know, that you have to remember. Booby trap's a funny word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean that, you know, jazz, like, to me, jazz standards are that way. Yeah. You know, the, the, the cliches are more complex, mm -hmm. but... but uh, two, five, two, five, two, five, Right, two, five, right. Or, yeah. you know, three, six, two, five, or yeah. whatever, you know. And then it goes to the bridge, you know, and you, so the bridge is different. you got to do this and that and that. But, but uh, uh, you know, you have cycles and you have all these uh, schemes you know mm. for putting chords and keys together but in most tunes there's one place or two places where there's like something that's disjunct mm. you know it's I call it a booby trap yeah you know if you're playing all the things you are you have this cycle you know yeah. F B flat E flat A flat uh, D flat G D flat to G that's the booby that's trap that's the weird one yeah, yeah. yeah. The rest of it's cliche. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On that tune, I it, when it comes back into the the original key right there, about three fourths through the mm -hmm. song, you know that that always like drives me nuts with that song. You know, yeah. That that to me is like the perfect example of pretty much most standards. Yeah. You know, all the things you are. Right. It, it has it has a lot of those two fives. It has them in a couple of different key centers. Um, I don't remember who I was. One of the people on the show was talking about that song a couple shows ago and I, that's the one that I would recommend because they, they got to kind of do the all of me's for you know you don't want right. to start with that tune because it's right. kind of a tricky tune but right. you that, that's like a good one that's an example of about what 700 jazz tunes you right. know I mean it's, it's right. pretty much all the things you are right. and it's right. but yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of the archetypes archetypes yeah. is yeah. a good word for it yeah yeah that's funny yeah and it's 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 all you know Six two five one four mm. in you know two or three different keys, a bunch of two five one and a bridge. But there's these little places where there's disjunct changes, and mm. I call them booby traps. And mm. when I'm teaching them, I go, okay, this is a booby trap here, this is a booby trap here. So this section you can you can perform, you can improvise in this key, mm. but right here, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> is there so last teaching question for you? Is have there been any you, you were talking a little bit about the trend recently of just having internet and then you talked about the, you know, 2008 and stuff and how is, is there any like teaching trends that you've, and then you also talked about bringing the pop tunes. I mean, is there any other like trends that you've seen recently with maybe kind of, you know, more on the annoyances side or, or even the, the positive side that you've seen in the last couple of years? Oh wow, man! I you know I don't think about it too much. Mm -hmm. um, 
most of what I talk about, you know, in terms of what I see, it's, it's hindsight. Mm -hmm. And uh, every time I've I've tried to anticipate what what what's what's going to happen uh, with uh, with music, with the recording industry, with mm -hmm. pop music, with teaching trends. I've been pretty right in a wrong kind of way, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It's awesomely like, bad. <laughs> yeah, I could see, like, I, like in the, in the uh, 90s, I could see the home recording thing. I could see the potential in that. And I started um, accumulating recording gear and building up a home studio, you know. And my, my, my thought was, see, I had gotten off the road, I had walked away from several potentially big time deals, artist development deals, um, songwriting, publishing deals, because um, it wasn't worth the cost. Mm. Personally, I was would have to relocate, which I wasn't willing to do. I would have to tour all the time, which I wasn't willing to do. Mm. And you, you know, in the old days, you know, in the eighties, seventies, and eighties, you sign the, the 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 trajectory. If you're lucky, was you know, you sign with a label, you get this six-figure advance, you go into the studio uh, with their producer, you record the record, you're, you know, half a million bucks in debt to the record label. You go out on tour, every expense is an expense accruing against future royalties. You wind up if you're lucky with a you know a hit record a million selling deal and you wind up making twenty thousand dollars because you're paying off the record label for the advance mm -hmm. and about the time you break even you go back into the studio and do the second record mm -hmm. so you're continuously playing catch-up yeah you know and I know dozens of guys that went this route yeah. and um, you know one or two of them success but a high price and only they could say whether it was worth it or not mm. uh, the other ones if they lived um, I'm better off than them right you know financially personally in terms of for those guys four addictions later too yeah there's a whole nother yeah issue, and you know, how yeah. many near-death experiences right. and so on I mean I've had you know when I was really young I had some of the substance abuse issues and mm -hmm. crap like that but uh, pulled out of it at a relatively young age mm -hmm. good for you and uh, we talked about that with yeah. Brian Hicks on the last show yeah, was, yeah. I mean I mean I have the utmost respect for Brian mm -hmm. and anybody like him mm -hmm. you know um, I just, I went through my, uh, you know, near death, uh, deal with due to drugs, you know, mm -hmm. young, really yeah. young. I mean, I was, um, 17, 
Yeah, wow. And by the time I was 18, I was pretty straight, pretty straightened out. Good for you, man. Um, yeah, you dealt with that really young then. I mean, well, I was pretty extreme, <laughs> pretty young. Um, for whatever reason, I, you know, I don't know how good I was. No, no recordings survive from that era. <laughs> you know, we're yeah, talking that's, early that's, 70s. That's funny. But um, I was always the youngest guy in the band. Yeah. And that, you know, in one, one aspect, it was good because I was working. I was in with older established guys. The other side of the coin was I got into stuff too young because all the guys I was working with were mm. older. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was in bands with guys that could drive before I had a license. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we don't, we don't need to get into the gruesome details sure, of, yeah, of yeah. that era, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that plays into what I was talking about, the way things were done back at, you know, at, at that time. And I got, you know, into the, I don't know, I guess I was just wise enough for some reason to, or self-aware enough to realize that this is not what I wanted. Mm. I wasn't motivated. I, I realized, I discovered, and it was kind of a hard lesson, but I discovered that I was not motivated by fame or money. Mm -hmm. That what I was really motivated by was just the love of playing the guitar. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I wasn't willing to relocate or sacrifice or go into debt just to, to get a record deal. Yeah. And I could see the home studio thing, oh, this could be an end run mm -hmm. around the status quo, right? I can produce a quality uh, product that would compete with anything in the marketplace out of my home studio. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. You know what I mean? I mean, people now make hit records in their living room, mm -hmm. in their kitchen, yeah. you know, because of the technology. And so I started doing that and kind of uh, networking and pursuing uh, songwriting opportunities and soundtrack stuff and beds for commercials and mm -hmm. movie soundtracks and things like that. But what I didn't predict was that the technology that made all this possible was the same technology that basically eradicated any chance of making a lot of money at it. Mm -hmm. Because the internet came up and then all this stuff started going out for free mm -hmm. and um, you know, I, I made a little bit of money with the home studio, but um, juice it didn't turn into a viable income stream. Yeah, juice wasn't worth the squeeze in that way, yeah, 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 and the money, yeah. So, like, the thing, one of the things that I've been trying to do the show for is to try to make some sort of kind of a, a blueprint for people because I think most people, I, I've been thinking about this kind of levels of, of not success in the are you happy sense, but the kind of levels of bigness, right? And you have the Aerosmith, Justin Bieber kind of, you know, era, which is insane. Yeah. And then you've got this whole kind of next level down where, you're, where you've got bands that are touring and getting an easy 
15 to 3,500 a show, you know, they're doing festivals and they're, they're kind of big time, have a big following. Then you get down to the next level. That's maybe that, you know, at a point where maybe somebody like, like a Dave Hayes might be in that category where they're, they, they have a following in a city and they're, you know, maybe getting four, 400 to a thousand as a band, you know, and they they kind of have some shows and, mm-hmm. and then, and then you have the next level under that of the, you know, where pretty much everybody is at, where they're always finding this garage band and they're getting three to 400 and then, and then they kind of get kicked out of that club because they don't bring enough people. And then they just do this for like accidentally like 30 years, yeah. you know, where they show and then they do five shows. You didn't bring enough. Oh, sorry. You know, like, and then you go to the next show, the next show, the next show, and then you just do this all yeah. around the city. And so I've been trying to think of kind of a blueprint on how to, because the Justin Bieber thing, that's just not, yeah. you know, that's not happening. The, a lot of people that $3,500 a show playing, you know, sold out knuckleheads kind of, kind of mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. um, where, where maybe somebody like a pure Prairie league is at right now, you know, they're not selling out sprint right. center, but they're probably doing still pretty good, you know? So I, I've tried to think about this idea of like, is it just the you know, coming up with some sort of a, a, there's so many bands that are just a band, you know, and they've got four really good 50 year olds that are killer at music, but it's four 50 year olds playing blues, right? They've been playing 30 years. They're great, but they don't have a gimmick. They don't have, you know, is it the gimmick? Is it the, you, as a player, you just got to kind of basically not be flaky you know, I mean, you, it's not about really your talent is that, will you answer the phone? Will you show up? Is it really that all these bands just have no idea how to do the business side and, and they're not advertising? Is it that you, you aren't getting a right amount of people and setting goals at the beginning? So by the t- or is it just the people that you're in where you're just having fights is it is it the is it the literal town that's a problem? You know, I, yeah. I, I that's what I'm kind of rolling. You can tell I'm probably pretty philosophical with what is the issue of wire, and I think it's probably a handful of any of those things for every band. I mean, what's what's your opinion on that? I have a lot of. You're so, you're smiling. I right? am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're talking about my teaching, but I I've I've been a player since, you know, I started performing probably. For, for money in 1969 yeah and uh, I've done you know I mean I've no, I'm not a, not a star you know I've never I mean I've played big shows but you know open for big names and all that kind of stuff but highly overrated mm-hmm. um, but I love to play the guitar and and if I play a, f- a festival crowd for 20,000 people, big lights, big stage, big sound, awesome. This is where I'm supposed to be. I'm totally comfortable. Yeah. If I play at the neighborhood dive strip mall bar, the band is killer and there's 10 people there. Mm. You know. When I go home at night, it's the same kind of happy. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm lucky. Yeah. I don't need Big crowd, the big good attitude. Yeah, yeah. So, another thing that I discovered was when I was a band leader, the leading the band sucked the joy out of it for me. Mm -hmm. 
And I got up on stage one night and I was, it was like a bolt of lightning. I hate this. What the hell am I doing here? I hate this. All the business shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, wait a minute. I used to love this. What happened? Mm. And what happened was I was on stage thinking about everything except for what I really love, which is just playing the stupid guitar. Mm. I was thinking about the lights, the sound, the costumes, the contract for next week, the booking agent, the club owner, Set you know, yeah, getting yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the van in the shop before we go to the next town, you know, everything except playing the guitar, which was on automatic pilot. Yeah. And, um, once, and I had been unhappy for quite a while and didn't even know it. You know, I was just going through the motions yeah. and worrying about the crowd, you know, why is the club empty? Why is the club full? Why does the band kick ass tonight? Why did we suck last night? Mm. You know, I'm just, what you just did sitting in that chair with your brain going yeah, round and round about all these variables. I gave up, man. I gave up. I remember being on the road and laying in the hotel room with, with I was rooming with the bass player at the time, and we were trying to figure out what we were playing you know in those days we would play we would do six night or two week stands in the same club right. we would do six nights a week and then on to the next town and um we were laying in bed going why was tonight so great and last night wasn't mm -hmm. was it what we had for supper was it the face of the moon was it how much sleep we got was yeah. it a butterfly flapping its wings in china mm -hmm. Who knows, you know? And I just said, okay, what I need to do is minimize everything else and maximize the guitar playing. If I want to be happy and I want to keep doing this, I have to maximize the guitar playing because that's what I love and minimize everything else because all that stuff sucked the life out of it. Mm. And that is one of the reasons I got my teaching business going. Right. Uh, because it took the pressure off of having to work next week, having to play that gig, you know. Uh, and I quit leading bands. I just will not lead a band. And if I'll, I'm much happier making less money. And believe me, when I was a band leader and I was taking 2% or 5% or whatever it was off the top as a leader's fee, it didn't even come close to being worth the aggravation that I went through day after day after day after day. Right. You know, handling the booking and the routing and the contracts right. and the uh, the interband politics mm -hmm. and the extra extra band politics and um, all the just all the crap that goes with it. Right. And once I started. Just being a side man, you need a guitar player, you call me. You know, I want to show up, I want to play the guitar, I want to have fun and drink a little bit if somebody else buys it mm -hmm. and um, get paid and go home. And yeah. I'm totally happy. That's and great. I don't care whether it's a hundred dollar a night gig in a bar or making three grand, you know, at a corporate event or playing on a big stage at a festival or whatever. It's all the same to me, man. It's playing the guitar. I don't have to get rich. 
Yeah. I just have to, you know, get by, be reasonably comfortable. And you put all these activities together, the gigging, the teaching, and anything else that I can do, the selling the stuff off the website. Um, there was a period of time where I was doing recording sessions in home studios. There was like a, a little network of home studio guys that were doing commercials and whatnot, you know. And I'd get these calls and I'd go over to somebody's basement studio and make 50 bucks for 30 minutes, you know, of putting a track or two tracks down on a, on a 30 second commercial, you know, stuff I was doing as part of that. I would do that in the mornings, I'd go teach in the afternoons, I'd go play a gig at night. And it was all guitar and it was all music and I'm happy that way. Yeah. And um, all the opinions about what it takes to be successful that I have are opinions that are basically gained in hindsight. Sure. I just kind of, you know, I, I, I make plans and strategies and start following through with them and something always affects them mm -hmm. and causes a shift in direction and then that causes me to change the plan you know so, so, the, I just, so did the plan seem worthless I mean, no is that, is that kind of what no the, i think the plan is necessary even if it's wrong yeah you plan you have because, one. Yeah. because that gets you started yeah yeah but then you have to be adaptable yeah you know and I, I can see like what I went through with gigging where I got to the point where I wasn't having fun anymore and I had to decide, I had to figure out why am I not having fun, what needs to change to make this fun again. Mm. Well, the short story is that I needed to not be the band leader, mm. okay? So I love gigging. I still gig, you know, I, I'm gigging two to four or five gigs a week. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but it's, 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 you know, they're $100 gigs, basically. Yeah. I mean, some of them are more, but sure. But, um, um, but that's, that's part of the picture. And uh, about half the gigs I play are solo, and, and I'm lucky, again, because I can do that. I can sing, and I can do an acoustic guitar thing, you know, with a looper, and, and, Go play solo gigs for 150 bucks plus tips, you know. Um, so I like doing that, but I also like teaching because it's stable. Mm -hmm. It's stable money, and um, well, it sounds like it's not a drag for you. No, it's, it's not, not. It's not a settle for you. No, know? it's yeah, not. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm I'm so into it that I wrote my own method book. Yeah. You yeah. know, so that's, that's indicative great. that it's not just something I do as a fallback because mm -hmm. I can't make enough money gigging. You know. so, so speaking of, of fallback, that, that's what happens, with, I think, with a lot of people. I, I heard Stephen Colbert say this the other day. He's like, I don't have the constitution for hardcore alcoholism, so I have to say jokes all day or else I go a little crazy. Uh -huh. And it's sort of the same with us, right? Like the, where we were talking about the students where what I would probably tell a kid is if now, if you're going to go into music, you kind of have to. Like emotionally, uh -huh. like like you were saying that, yeah. that I love the guitar, and if right. I'm not playing guitar, I kind of go a little crazy. Yeah, and not I kill myself, you right? Know, right. Me metaphorically, so like, so so that's where I kind of 
am torn between what you just said because of the, I just kind of don't want to deal with all of these questions, right. you know? Right. And so that's where I'm, I, I think the teaching is a, is a great idea for that because you have this kind of supplement and then you don't have to, you don't have to make the decision the of gig. whether you're going to play this gig that sucks or right. not make the gas bill next week. Right. And, and so that's where I'm torn because I feel the same way that like I heard somebody talk about a like I can't, it was a multi something they described it as, as a person who's really good at a ton of things. Mm -hmm. They can be a secretary and a this and a, and a farmers are like right. that. They have many and, but I'm not. I, right. in, in music, I'm a multi-person because I like a whole bunch of different genres right. and stuff. But in the world, I'm a specialist. Right. Because I can't do anything else. Right. I literally, I'm, I'm dumb. I'm you know, I can't do it. Right. I don't have any other skills. Right. And so with this playing stuff, that's where I get, I'm struggling with because I want, with, with the whole idea of worrying about all this advertising and stuff, I... I'm a little bit different. I, I do enjoy going to, you know, an Eagles hall and playing for 15 people, you yeah. know, and, but I have to be honest that any, any, uh, dive bar, but it's full is always more fun. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, yep. the American Legion that's full as opposed to the Eagle hall with 15. Right. So I have to go like, okay, well, you know, what does that mean then? Well, right. it's obviously, you know, setting up this hierarchy idea where right. well, obviously this is better, right. you know, the, and, and I think right. you're kind of mentioning that there isn't, or you're kind of talking about that you don't feel that hierarchy. You're, you're, you're happy, you know, almost, not whatever okay. happens, but do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, I, I understand. So I want this thing. Yeah, I, know, I understand what you're saying, and I'm yeah. not saying that some gigs are better than others. Right. You know, uh, yeah, man, you know. Uh, That's why I want to care about all of the, you know, I want, I want to, like, you know, sit yeah, here and, yeah. you know, do well, the Well, what I, what I, all I can tell you is what I've done, and what I've done is I've minimized everything else and maximized the guitar playing, and the way that you do that is that you hook up with guys who love what you hate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Mama Ray, uh, she's not all that active now. I mean, she's getting up there in years. And the BB's thing, the Saturday afternoon thing, is pretty much the only thing she does. Uh, she'll play elsewhere every now and then. Um, but uh, in the past, you know, she was one of my sources for work. She did the promo, she did the marketing, she did the contracts, she handled the money, she handled the drunks, she mm -hmm. handled the club owner, yeah. she handled the booking agent, and I just showed up and played the guitar. Right. Okay, so there's been, you know, a f quite a few guys or people like that over the course of my career where I recognize the value of what they do and, and I make myself valuable to them they know they can call me and i will in it and if i'm available mm -hmm. i take the gig they can count on it i will be there i will be able to play the tunes uh there'll be a a noticeable lack of drama yeah that's where the flakiness comes yeah, in where you're like yeah. i am not flaky yeah it's so like lucky. you know yeah i'm a good player i can do this gig you won't have to worry about me and um, nobody's indispensable, but um, 
my uh, strategy is to be the first call guy. Yeah. And you get to be that way because number one, you're good. You can do the gig. You know, you can, you can, I'm willing to play on extremely short notice. I've had band leaders, you know, call me up at three in the afternoon. Man, my guitar player's puking. Can you make a gig at eight o'clock tonight? And I'll go, yeah. They and just called us for Kobe's tomorrow night. Yeah. You know, right. we, uh, for some and reason, they know all that, five of us that, could do uh, it. They know that I can show up with no rehearsal and get through the gig. Right. And get them through the gig. And that I'm not going to be drunk on stage. I'm not going to be stoned when I get there. Yeah. I'm not going to be late. Yeah. You know? So I hook up with guys that, that like the marketing, that like dealing with the crowd, that like doing the contracts, that like networking with the club owner and doing business with the booking agent and all that stuff that sucked the fun out of it for me. Right. So that's what I do. And uh, it, it's kind of funny because over the last you know, 15 years, I've noticed, hey, I've always been the youngest guy in the band and all these older guys were the, my source for work and now these older guys are dropping off and retiring or dying and it's like, uh-oh, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. you know? So I started actively networking with the younger players mm -hmm. and that's how I met Bree. Yeah, sure. I called up Bree and I said, hey, let's go out to lunch. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny because that relationship has resulted in more work for her from me than more work for mm -hmm. me from her. Yeah, you know? but, but, but still, that's still But good. yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, you do. Yeah. You know? So I've, I've consciously start, you know, started networking with younger players because now my goal is to be the oldest guy on stage. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were talking about the, the find your... Find your yin and yang or whatever, yeah. you know, and, and that's what me and Scott Lane, who I play with, uh, you know, he's he's the best front man I've seen in town in regards to talking to the audience. Uh -huh. And so he is killer about that. And sometimes he's completely not serious and I'm right. I can be fun, too, but I'm, right. I'm way opposite of him. And so that's why I think we work really well together right. is, is that he doesn't want to think about this stuff and obviously I'm at least at right. least sort of thing. I but I'm here that I don't want to do this either. I'd love a manager. Right. But I'm looking at it as well, you know, he's apparently not gonna you know, I kind of right. look at it like that. He's apparently not gonna care about any of this because whenever right. I talk, oh I've never I yeah. haven't even thought about it, you know, yeah. like and yeah. I'm like, yeah, well that's the I, that's the problem. I have, <laughs> is that I have, you have, I have, I have, I have a, a, yeah. a little saying that um, you take a, a front man, you know, that's really good at it, mm -hmm. that does what he does. This guy is going to make me more entertaining, and I'm going to make him sound better. Right. Yeah. And that's how, that's how I look at my job, too. Yep. And even on stage, because I've, I've conducting training or whatever, and I, I, because I'm just thinking way, way, way too much all the time, I'm three, three, uh, sections ahead in the song three right. chest moves ahead and so i'm like ready okay yeah. after this chorus we got the solo i need right. to cue this guy right. okay here we right. go and then the end of the song turn around you know yeah. and, and, and i'm like and, you know. and all that time the front guy's out there going. yeah but but that's great because yeah. i don't i literally don't have to play the whole show because a lot of solos i'm you know literally right. putting my instrument down right. and 
not playing through every single verse because I'm doing little snippets uh -huh. of accompaniment and like so that it kind of works really well in our band because I have all this extra time uh -huh. and I'm just coming in with my little background vocals and I don't have to remember everything and right. I'm, I'm freeing him up to right. think about what song we're gonna do next and talk to the audience mm -hmm. and like so it kind of works well and yep. uh, so I can under I hundred percent understand why everybody wouldn't want to deal with any of that extra crap yeah and for me like it's it's almost like one of those things like if I don't if I don't say jokes all the time I'm gonna go crazy that's kind of how my personality mm -hmm. is is if mm -hmm. I don't think through all this stuff and right. have my ducks in a row I go a little crazy right. you know because right. those people that are like all right, here we go, and they're just walking around like in life in general, you right. know. Okay, where am I going? I don't know, you know. Yeah. Like, and that drives me nuts, yeah. you know. And and that's probably a little not OCD, but you know, a little right. well, controlly and needed, like you know. Good, good musicians that are are good players, good at their instrument. There's an element. There's an OCD element to that. Mm. I, I I I totally believe that. There's a there's uh, in order to get really good the time kind of time you have to put in yeah is not normal yeah years <laughs> yeah <laughs> and when i have a student who i you know i i i, I wrote this blog about um uh you know the the neurotic aspect of of what it takes to be really good the time that you have to put in the rep, the time the daily repetition for years you know uh that usually that stems from some kind of neurosis or mm. OCD mm. Uh, thing. And so if I have a student that comes in and they say, man, I'm gonna have to take a break from the lessons. I, 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 I'm just not able to put in the time that mm. I, I need to put in to, to, to get to where I want, you know? I say, man, that's fine, man. Don't worry about it. You never burn a bridge with me. You can always come back later. And by the way, congratulations on being reasonably well adjusted. You know, because the really, really good players, there's, there, there's, there's that something there that's a little skewed. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't talk about myself in mm -hmm. this. You know, I mean, definitely. I mean, I could write a book about. We're all little nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah about yeah. Uh, what it is that that. Uh, what is the the source for this motivation? Mm -hmm. You know, this drive mm -hmm. to do something that doesn't have a that generally is not going to have a um, return that mirrors the effort. Mm. Right. You know, in terms of finance financial or security or success or whatever, you know. The return is not quantifiable. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I, I heard this guy talking about, he was talking about personality traits and he was talking about the, this, the, there's this thing called the big five aspect scale of, of orderliness, uh, uh, um, agreeableness, openness to new ideas. There's these five parts here, extroversion, you know. And so he was talking about that there's a lot of people that you're, you're, it's rare when you have people that are like 50th percentile openness to new ideas and then also 50th percentile like orderliness. 
those are rare together. Yeah. You know, you're you're kind of usually on one yeah. side or the other. Yeah. And he was, you know, obviously not to get into this, but he was talking about conservatives and liberals too. Is right. that conservatives are typically high in orderliness and liberals are typically right. high in openness, meaning that they're more creative. You know, right. they're they're lateral. They're they're idea. My buddy Scott is like that. His uh -huh. his ideas are all over the place. Right. And so that's maybe what you're talking about with the yin yang type of thing is because I found because you're talking about that a lot of the great players are typically very, uh, what was the word? Uh, not OCD, but you know, typically very neurotic in, in the sense that they've got to get it perfect or mm -hmm. perfection, you said. But I found sometimes the opposite, that a lot of the, a lot of the really great players are extremely high in this creativeness and they, they have all these ideas, right. but you know, it seems like when you're trying to pin them down, they have a huge problem getting pinned down. Right. And a lot of the orderly people are lacking in the creativeness, right. Right. which is why it's really rare to find the level 10 player, but the level 10 of organization too, yeah. you know, so that, that, that always frustrates me, but that's just life. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's it. You can't have, yeah. you can't have tens on everything as right. a person. It's just not a thing, you know, right. like, so that, that's always just funny to me and maybe maybe I'm just realizing that the orderly part is, is more in my personality yeah. and, and well, you know, self-awareness is, is a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, you, you, you figure out what you're motivated by and then you, you stack the deck as much as you possibly can to mm -hmm. live in that place, mm -hmm. you know? And, Life isn't controllable and stuff happens, but, um, you know, overall, me figuring out um, what, I, what I was motivated by, the love of the, the instrument, the love of playing the guitar, that everything else stems from that, mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, at BB's, when you play the same room week after week after week after week, uh, you know, you, you find yourself going, why is the room only half full today? And then the next week you go, why is it, this, why is it packed? Right. You know, and you try to draw correlations between, well, it's the weather. And, you know, it's like the same reason that it's packed could be the same reason it's empty. Mm. You know, that's, it's a beautiful day out here. It's a beautiful day today. That's why it's empty. Everybody's out doing something. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful day. People have been cooped up all winter. That's why they're all here and it's all packed. Yeah. You know, That's I just, I just, it's futile. I went through so many futile thought processes trying to figure that kind of stuff out. And there are guys, marketing guys, promotional guys that thrive on those kind of questions. Mm -hmm. They love thinking about that. They love trying to figure that stuff out. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while they do, Yeah, you know? And uh, that's the kind of guy I want to hook up with. Right. You know? But sometimes uh, they're they're just grasping. Yeah. It is, yeah. what you're saying, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this, you know? And Snow, snowy nights, I think, can probably be like that. A lot. Yeah. Um, and I, I just discovered I wasn't Sometimes happy. people come out and then sometimes they're just like, ask for this. Yeah. You know? And sometimes people are there, but the vibe just isn't in the room, man. It's hey, just hey Dan? You got, you got two minutes? Two. Two minutes. Okay, we're done here, like right now.
so, so we're, we're, we're recording. Yeah. recording that's why yeah, it's okay. Like, well, we're so we're done in about uh, one minute here, probably. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you wanted a, uh, a yeah. horrible gig story? Yeah, give me one gig story real quick. A horrible gig story. Yeah, uh, a horrible gig story. Okay, uh, no names, and uh, <laughs> I'll I'll just say the city. But I was touring. In, this was in the late 70s, uh, maybe 1980, and it was in Chicago, and the band was a, like a Vegas show kind of band. Mm -hmm. We had, uh, you know, we changed outfit. we had tux outfits, we changed clothes every break, we had comedy skits with costumes, we had uh, flash pots and fog machines and, and we were in a tour bus and we carried lumber. We built the stage everywhere we went. It was all very glittery and Vegas, man. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like Las Vegas. And we got booked into this club. It was a supper club in Chicago that was so hardcore country and Western. They had a stained glass window of Dolly Parton. Okay. All right. And we were booked for six nights with a week option. And... Um, it was brutal. I mean, we did no country, mm -hmm. zero. And the place would be packed, like 500 people in there. And the instant we walked out on stage, we were a bunch of pansies yeah. because of the way we were dressed. Sure. And we would hear from the back in the dark, from the back of the club, we didn't come in here to hear this crap. Right. Only it was much more profane sure. than that. And we hadn't played anything yet. So what do you play here? Well, both kinds. Yeah. So <laughs> we threw, we, we threw, you know, we would do, this was like kind of disco-y. We, we would do like a couple dance sets and then a show, you know, and the show was very choreographed and, you know, the tunes were the same, you know, skits, comedy skits, you know, all this kind of stuff. So we threw the special effects choreography out of the show. Mm -hmm. And we just played until things got this far. There was no chicken wire. Yeah, I know, chicken and wire. No right. chicken wire. So we would, we would just do our thing until it was on the verge of being extremely ugly. Yeah. And then the stage manager would give the tech guy the cue and all the flash pots would go off at once. <laughs> all this ordinance, fog, and everything, everybody go yeah! like that, and we'd get through the night that That's way. Funny. We did that for a week. At the end of the week, the club owner took us out to dinner uh, to tell us that he wasn't picking us up for the second week option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys got a great show, you know, just not right for this room. You're like, yeah, yeah, thanks for not picking us up, you know, we right. appreciate it. Well, anyway, during the course of the conversation, we discovered the booking agent had told the club owner that we had a country and western floor show and that we were all from Arkansas. Oh. Pulling, pulling a John Belushi on that one, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, man. Yeah, that, that, hey, that happens a lot. The booking agent didn't we care. Need a gig. Get, booking agent was getting his 15%. Yeah. You know, and he didn't have to die on stage every night. Oh, yeah. What a turd. That's funny, man. Yeah, I mean, that, that's funny that's now. That, it's pretty funny now. <laughs> that's show business right there. Stained glass doll stained glass window. Yep. Dolly Parton, man. We play both kinds here. Country and Western. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. Anytime, man. It's 
fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks no for, problem. Thanks for thinking of me. No problem. Yeah, yeah I've always enjoyed your playing, and uh, a couple times come out to BBs, and, and you're always, you know, professional playing really well, great. Well, you're you're always welcome there, man. We'll make sure I'll make sure that we'll have the A team behind. Yeah, that'd be yeah, that'd be great, man. Um, Ju Daily, thanks, man. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see you guys next time. Get out of here.